game's all about. All of a sudden, you feel like you can't miss. Welcome to Buckets. My name is Matt Moore, and I'm a senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Joined today by Brandon Anderson for our Friday happy hour. Let's get a little tipsy. A reminder, if you're betting on any sport in the universe, lacrosse, ping pong, uh, pinball. There's got to be the we should be able to bet on pinball. There's got to be somewhere we can bet on pinball. You want to be tracking it through the Action Network app. It's going to get you the best. Updated odds, lines, where the money is, where the bets are, uh, our projections, where the sharp money's coming in, all of that, plus our analysis, plus picks from experts. Everything that you need to know is the most fun app, is the best way for you to track your picks day in and day out. Check out all the great podcasts on our vast network of podcasts, including the Action Network podcast with Brandon and Raheem Palmer, my co-host on this show on earlier in the week, including our Wednesday workshop, which took a beating because every team forgot how to shoot again. Check out Brandon and Raheem's Action Network NFL pod on Mondays and Fridays. On today's show, well, some teams have started off really great. We talked about those last week. Some teams have not started off so well. We're going to talk about whether or not this is the time to be fading, futures, implications, everything for a handful of teams whose season just, well, hasn't gotten off to the start that they wanted. Brandon, take it away. Yeah, so uh, it only is fair that I should be the one leading this conversation, seeing as how we are starting out with the Boston Celtics and Portland Trailblazers, my two big sleepers for the season, who are still sleeping. So, yeah, we're going to talk about Celtics, Blazers, we're going to talk about the Clippers and Suns, and uh, just exactly how much of the sky is falling, exactly how many of our pets' heads are falling off, (laughs) so I think that you have to start with the Boston Celtics at the top. Boston is 3-5. and They barely survived a game against the Magic last night as we record this. They kind of eked out an ugly first half and then figured out, oh, right, we're playing basketball. Let's win the game now. So three and five, three wins against the mighty Rockets and Magic and an overtime win over the Hornets. They got swept by the Wizards. They lost twice in double overtime. They blew like a 400-point fourth quarter lead by the Bulls. It's ugly. I'm worried about the Celtics. My Udoka Coach of the Year ticket is up in flames and we're calling the fire alarm on my, on my house. It's so bad. How worried are you about the Celtics? Yeah. So um, here's, here's my emo, Ime Udoka take. So I, I love the hire. Um, Udoka. I'll always remember as a guy back in 2013 and 2014, um, who during the finals, when a lot of players don't even come out for warmups, like LeBron doesn't do a warm up in the finals. He just goes out and plays. Tim Duncan would just go out and do his normal post-up workout. And Udoka was always the guy like slamming into him at full speed and taking that beating. But Udoka like rose up through the, the Popovich ranks, was head assistant, I believe at one point, um, went to Philly, good coach there, goes to Boston. And Udoka's former player, that's always like a positive. He's a recent former player, so he kind of gets a little bit more of where guys are at. at recent in quotes, there's 2000 and to the 2000s. Um, smart mind, well-regarded, little worried. Like, li- I'm, I'm, a li- I'm a little worried that maybe Udoka is not going to be the guy. Um, one of the problems, I think, inherently, this is like a long-term implication. One of the problems, I think, inherently with Stevens going to the front office is the threat's always going to be there if it goes sideways 
for Stevens to come back and just coach NGM. And that's never a good idea. You don't need to be president and GM. You cannot divide your intentions both ways. Um, Udoka, the lineups, I don't think are a problem. Like, I don't look at the lineups and go like, oh, that's bad. But their composure, their, honestly, a lot of it is just like their fundamental play. They're, you want your guys to be consistent and to have a game plan and stick to it. And the Celtics just tend to have these quarters where they drift off into fucking space. Like, they just... Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll say this, uh, Dan Greenberg, who who writes about the the Celtics, he said that um, they will look one minute like the best team in basketball and the next minute like the worst basketball team that has ever played. And that is absolutely accurate, which makes betting on them a nightmare. Like I took magic last night because I was like, look, they haven't proven they can they can hang the the magic have absolutely like proven that they're sneaky good against the spread. This is nine and a half. I feel pretty good about this. Plus, I like the over. And then the, the Celtics come out in the third quarter and annihilate them by playing lights out, brilliant shutdown defense. And it kills my under and they win the game by double digits. So I don't know at this point, I don't know how to bet the Celtics because I don't know what I'm getting out of them every game. Like most teams, you've got a lot of variance this year because of the shooting woes. The Celtics, it's like they could play great defense or they could be the worst defensive team on the planet. And then one more thing, Marcus Smart. Oh, boy. So they give him the extension and he starts and like he's popping off about how Jason and Jalen need to pass the ball more. Meanwhile, like he's shooting terribly. He said that they need to pass the ball more in a game in which he, the starting point guard, didn't have assists. Like I'm worried about the chemistry. I'm worried about the roster. I'm worried about the coaching. Um, there's a long season. They can just play their way out of this, but I am worried that, if you had the high end on Boston, I don't think they're going to get there because I don't think they're, you I don't know if they can survive what looks like the start unless they turn it around. And I mean like tomorrow, like unless yesterday was the start of them absolutely turning it around. I'm a little concerned about all of the futures implications on tickets. Yeah. I'm a lot concerned. I think that's the problem for me, as much as I was in on Boston playing them as a possible division long shot, as a possible, you know, Udoka coach of the year. Raheem has talked about Jason Tatum as a possible MVP. All of all of those, all the high-end outcomes appear shot, just, just gone. I don't think that the season is shot. I don't think that a playoff possibility is shot. But being able to be a really good regular season team like I thought they possibly could be, it's just gone. It's gone. Like that what's interesting, so you know how I like to dig into the statistical profile. And at first I was looking, I was like, you know, actually, it's not so bad. It's actually pretty similar to last year. Like the offense is a similar shot profile. The defense is about like last year. Only problem is they sucked last year. The whole point about the Celtics is that they were supposed to not be the bad thing that they became last year when the COVID took over and they lost all the guys. Now everyone's back and it's, you don't want to be last year's profile. That was the bad thing they were supposed to get rid of. So I don't know. Horford's been really good. Timler's yeah. been good. Jalen Brown has been good. Tatum is cold. Tatum needs to, you know, he's taking more twos than ever. His assists are down. I don't like that. Uh, Marcus Smart, 30% from the field. That's, that's very bad. 86 offensive rating. Uh, offensive box plus minus negative 5.3, which is like pull a guy out of the stands bad. So my worry about this team, I like Tatum. I like Brown. I like Horford and Time Lord. That was kind of the, the premise of what I felt like here. Josh Richardson has been disappointing. 
it's early. We'll see. But it, th- there might just not be much there. I'm worried, though, that there's just not guard play on this team. Smart has been terrible for them and is not helping the offense. It's actively hurting the offense. Schroeder, I don't like the fit at all. I don't like what he's doing. There's way too much Schroeder in crunch time. But who are the other guards? You know, like for so long, Boston had their war chest of assets and all these young guys. Who are the young guys on this team stepping up? Romeo Langford's not doing much yet. Neesmith isn't doing much. Pritchard has been terrible. There's not a war chest of picks. Like the, the cavalry is not coming here. So I, I'm officially worried. Um, they're fouling a ton. They're getting a lot of trouble. I already, I, I'm not really a reactionary person early in the season like this, but I was already looking at like, okay, so what's the trade here? You know, they, they do have a bunch of tradable contracts. Smart's 14 million, Richardson 12, Juancho and Gomez 7, Schroeder 6. So feels like if this doesn't pull around in a hurry that maybe there's a trade coming but I don't know what the trade is like what if you were trading Marcus if you're trading for Marcus Smart who who are you who wants Marcus Smart and what's the team that you want to put him into like he's a good player but he is a guy that always feels more valuable to you than like to the Celtics than elsewhere so I don't know what the trade is even Dallas for Kristaps Porzingis Ooh. one man's trash is another man's Crash also, I don't know. You trade you trade for you trade like Grant Williams. Jay Rich back to Dallas. I like it. You trade no, they're never doing <laughs> that. Um here, let me let me could try and, and talk you off the ledge a little bit. Okay. Um Udoka, I think, is trying to get the season settled, so he's playing the veterans a lot. I think that in time he'll face the same kind of thing that Michael Malone did, where he was like, I have to go to my young guys because my veterans are too bad. Like he's playing Bones Highland and he's actually producing. Aaron Neesmith is has a 13.64 effective field goal percentage this season, but he's taken 11 shots. Okay. Neesmith was a guy that I singled out. Like I looked seriously at if Steph gets hurt, who is my other guy to lead the league in threes? And like, I looked at Neesmith off the bench because that's how good of a shooter he is. I didn't bet it. Thank God. Um, But I do think that they've got Peyton Pritchard and Neesmith and those guys have looked terrible. But I think that they get more minutes, they can work themselves in. Here's the biggest thing, though, Brandon. Tatum, here's his QSI. QSI is the differential between expected field goal percentage based off of shot location and opponent distance in terms of contest level. And they're actual. This is data I was given from Second Spectrum. Tatum should have uh, a 47.96 EFG, which is not great. Sub 50%, right? Tough shot maker. However, he's a good, he's a good tough shot maker. That's what he does. His actual is 42.8. It's minus 5.15. So what I'm telling you is that much like Bradley Beal, and who we'll get to in a second, Damian Lillard, and a bunch of these other guys, Tatum's not shooting the ball well, whether it's the new ball, whether it's, you know, still leftover fatigue from last season, yeah, COVID, uh, if it's the new defensive rules, whatever. But like over the course of the season, Tatum is going to bring up that minus 5.15, at least closer to zero, if not a plus. He should be a plus because he's a tough shot maker. He should be at least closer to zero. And that differential over the course of a season, that's going to pay dividends in their win-loss record. Like, For sure. they are currently, like, despite everything, okay, um, they are 19th in overall half-court offense, which, not great, but Tatum plays better, and Neesmith starts to hit some shots. They settle down a little bit, and that goes to, 
like they, they probably jump yeah. into the top 15 and that's probably enough to get them at least a little bit better. I don't think they're going to hit top three seed in the East. I think that they're still kind of limited. I think the ceiling, I think we're saying is a lot lower, Yeah, but I do think that they can raise the floor considerably if they can just get better play from Tatum. Just yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, and you were never really super in on the ceiling like I was anyway. So I think it's fair that you're a little less moved by this because the ceiling wasn't necessarily there. I'm saying that the ceiling that I thought might be there is looking like it's out. Tatum will play better. You know, they'll be fine. I, I don't even think that they're necessarily a play-in team. I think that they're still solidly in the playoffs and they're going to get there. There's a lot of talent here, but the, the high-end outcomes, I'm definitely worried about. The game against the Magic last night was very worrisome. The first half, the Magic were just getting any shot they wanted. Yep. The Magic. The but Magic then, are not supposed to get the shots that they want. But then, that third quarter, had, like, trust me, I know, Brandon. You want to know why I know? Because I was hitting, like, the, the app told me I was, like, 65% for my overbet. And I was like, here we go, baby. Here we go. Big bet of the night. Workshop bet. Woo-hoo. Right. And then the third quarter came. The app is nice, though. You got to like when it's giving you that 65%, kind of tracking your bets, telling you how to feel along the way. I like that a lot. So I like it. I like it for being able to look back and go, I was at 90% for bets. <laughs> and then yeah. like, eight minutes later. It was good. It's good to make you feel better about the process. You can blame the players and know that you were right all along, <laughs> which really go. that's all that I want. All right, right. So the Blazers, my other big sleeper, also three and five, three game losing streak right now to the Hornets, to the Sixers backups or whatever was left of them and the Cavs. So not impressive. They lost to the Kings. They lost by 30 to the Clippers, but they beat the Suns. They beat the Clippers. They beat the Grizzlies all by 19 or more. They're 0-4 on the road. They're winning games at home. They're scoring. They're not really playing defense. Hey, look, it's the Blazers. Is it just the same old Blazers? So they are 27th in half-court defense. If you're wondering why I keep shouting out these half-court numbers, um, it should be obvious, but just in case you're confused, um, the Blazers spend 84% of their possessions in half-court, right? So the variance on the 15.8% that they spend in transition where their average is going to fluctuate quite a bit because it's a lot fewer possessions. It's important not to be horrible, especially in transition defense. The teams aren't just running down your throat. But half-court offense, I found to be a pretty consistent determination of how good you are. Like, can you get a stop in a half-court set? The Blazers had some good moments early in the season where they were grinding it out, and now they're back down to 27. And this, from, here's what I've seen, and, like, I pay a lot of attention to Blazers Twitter um, because I think that they're a pretty smart group relative to a lot of the other ones. Nurkic is struggling a lot. Yeah. Um, Nurkic is struggling a whole lot, and it's on both ends of the floor. If he is not giving them like elite offense, I think you're in a pretty rough spot. He's 42, 42nd percentile for overall offense on the season in terms of efficiency. Okay, He's shooting 53%, but relative to like effective field goal percentage, everything else for all the shooters, that's pretty low. Um, not drawing a ton of fouls um, in a lot of given situations. I've often said that Nurkic is overrated. I just haven't, I've always, when the numbers have backed me up in terms of he's not good on the pick and roll um, in terms of a score, he's a pretty good passer. If it's if it's like a simple short roll whip to the corner, he's not good uh, as a pick and roll finisher. He's not good in the post. And that's like the biggest ways to use him. You don't want to use him as like a pick and pop threat. That's not who he is. So Nurkic hasn't been good and Dame shot terribly. Right. And so now your margin for we're going to be a killer offensive team that can't get any stops 
Billups last night, though, like went to a four guard lineup late because he was like, we're not getting stops anyway. But that's a frustration point. You can tell that Billups kind of thought that he could coach them into being an okay defensive team. And that hasn't occurred. And I think that there's like frustration with him on that. Um, Dame, I will say this. Dame put out the big article. Sorry, Chris Haynes, not Dame. Chris Haynes put out the big article (laughs) about Dame, um, about the meeting with LeBron and all those. Like Dame is signaling pretty consistently. No, 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 no. I basically decided like, I'm not going to go. Like if if this is how it goes, this is how it goes. Now, I want to see what it looks like if this thing goes completely off the rails, if he changes his mind. But I, I like my position on the Blazers from the outset was we like the over for the win total, um, which I still think they can definitely get to. Because a lot of this, again, let's go back to the Celtics. Dame gets back to normal and this looks better. Like they're, but here's the, but the big key is just expecting them to be anything different or a threat or, you know, gonna make, a, a real run in the Western conference playoffs without injury. But like I mentioned that minus five QSI for, for Tatum Dame's at minus seven. Yeah. And it feels so, like, it. <laughs> yeah. So you just can't hit. Right. But either they're going to change the ball or they're going to adjust to it. And I think they'll, they'll start making shots. Like I have a lot of, it is not, it is not faith in Damian Lillard. It is faith in a career of data that we have on Damian Lillard being elite. So he's going to raise up that floor considerably. Like you look at it, their half court offense this season is still fourth. They're still excellent in that regard. They're 26 in transition transition. You can fix pretty easy. You just start knocking down the corner, the corner threes on the break and that starts to go up. So um, I think that this is still going to be a top elite offensive unit. I still think that they're going to like, if you have the over on the blazers, I'm not, don't be prop swapping or selling or cashing out on that ticket. You're okay. I think the Blazers are going to be fine. The big key here is if you had them on an under way under um, on their seating, or if you had them as like a top seat in the East or whatever, uh, I, that then I think you're, you're not in a great spot. There's a lot of time for them to evolve into a different team, but their trade options I think are pretty limited and I cannot see them dramatically making a difference. It is notable how much better they've been with the bench with Larry Nance and Cody Zeller. That's like, that's a elephant in the room right now, early in the season. Yeah. I actually came away pretty optimistic about the Blazers considering how rough things have looked at times. It's very easy. You know, I think a lot of us do this. I certainly, every year I get duped into the Blazers again, every year it comes to the playoffs. I'm like, maybe this year, Damian Lillard, maybe this is a big playoff run. And every year the playoffs end, and I'm like, ah, oh, the Blazers never again. I'm, I'm out. No more Blazers. And then I'm right back in again. So I like this roster a lot. I'm optimistic because they're hanging in there. They're actually ninth in net rating. Like you said, a fourth and half court offense or sixth in overall offensive rating. Considering how badly things have gone for pretty much everyone on the team, that's pretty good. Like CJ has played well. That's about it. Nurkic has not been good. Lillard has been terrible by his standard. Norman Powell actually has been good, but missed two games. So it's good that he's fitting in much better than it was last year. But, you know, they, they need him in the lineup. So that, that helps. The, the bench, I still like better. Anthony Simons actually is good now. Like, he's been very good so far. And it, it's been a long time coming. He was very damaging for a lot of the last few seasons. So I'm optimist, optimistic about the bench. They're rebounding way better. So that helps defensively getting just 
closing out possessions. Their shooting uh, is down a little bit, but uh, they're fouling less. So I, I remain a little optimistic. The problem is my one genuine concern on this team is Damian Lillard. And it's not, I'm, I'm not doubting him. I just wonder if he's hurt or if, like, it's hard for me to get past from what we saw in the Olympics. And Dame was terrible at the Olympics. And he's shooting 35% field goal right now, 23% on threes. We know he can shoot. The three-point shot will come back. But his free throw rate is about half what it was two years ago. He's shooting like 53% at the rim, down from 63 the last couple of years. Three shooting is rough. That's going to get better, but like it, it can't just get a little better. The Blazers, none of this matters if Damian Lillard isn't like fringe MVP candidate, Damian Lillard. And he's a long, long ways from that right now. And I guess I'm just a little worried since we saw the Olympics and now it's the same sort of thing. Is it an aging curve catching up? Is there an injury there? Is he tired? I don't know any of those things. We don't know any of those things. But if 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 this is anything close to what we're getting from Lillard and it's anything like the last few seasons, he's been, you could talk about him similarly to how Steph Curry's numbers have been. We can have that conversation. He's nowhere near that right now. And unless he gets even close to that again, I think none of the rest matter. I am curious about this. Uh, Nurkic made a lot of noise in the offseason about like, I don't know what the future holds, which is weird because like he was under contract for another year and all these like, but he's a clutch client. <laughs> so that that's a concern. Um, I will also just say this, like the Blazers fans love him. I, I will just say that I think they would be better off. Like they could get a really good package of return on Nurkic that could boost their bench. You might be able to get a replacement starting center who can switch like Zeller, who's an upgrade on Zeller depending on who it is, because like, this is a lot of it. I will say I've been, I've been screaming about this for three years. You can't play Nurkic and Lillard together. And the reason is Nurkic isn't fast enough to move at the level. So you can't blitz. Okay. Um, and you can't play drop because Dame can't get over the screen. Nurkic is a fine drop defender. Like for what you have to do, it's fine. Right. You retreat, you keep a hand up, you turn, you try and, and get the block. He's fine. He's not the fastest dude. I don't love his rotational awareness, but he's good. And he's, his numbers are always really good in pick and roll individually because he's just a monster. Like, he's just freaking huge. And if you have that size, that goes a long way. Like, what makes Rudy Gobert elite is he has maybe the, you know, among the best instincts defensively in the sport combined with his frame. And he's nimble and he's always in great shape and he's always available. Nurkic can play drop, but Dame can't get over the screen. The solution, if you're going to have Dame, is you got to switch everything. And you can say, like, well, won't teams just target Dame? Not in the regular season. I'm just telling you, teams do not do that. It, it will blow your mind. Go through any game where the Nets or Hornets are playing and find the smallest, worst defender on those teams and see how many times the opponent actually targets the mismatch. It doesn't happen. You're just running your stuff because it's one of 82. You're going on to the next. You're just getting through the game. Like, I've talked to players about this. They barely look at the scouting report most times. So. And if they do, it's all on defense, not on offense and how to attack. You want to do what you do on offense. So if you get a switchable defender with Dame, you just switch everything that gums up the defense enough. If you run switch, you will never be, you won't be a horrible defense. That's where we're at in the NBA right now. If you run switch, you won't be terrible. It's hard, but it's easy mentally. There's no screw ups. There's no miscommunication. You just say, we're going to switch everything. And then 
they can get by through that. So if they were to make that move, that could be like exciting. But right now we're nowhere near that. I think there's just good, like Dane's going to get better. They're going to coast to like a, uh, they're going to be right where they were last year, six or seven and a first round out. I'm a little more optimistic. I don't know about the playoffs. I, I, hopefully I guard myself from that. The West is really the Jazz, the Warriors, and everybody else right now. And I think that the higher end outcomes, not j- Jazz or Warriors type outcomes, but the three, four seed, I think that could be in range still. Uh, I'm optimistic about if Dame gets back on track again. There's enough other good stuff that I like here that I could still see it. Really, we're talking about a few games difference, though, between like a six seed and a three seed in the last. I don't I don't I, I don't agree with that. I think there's going to be a gap. Um, Utah, the Warriors and the Lakers are definably better. Like the Lakers have been iffy, but they're still like they're just going to win enough. Like they're just like their floor is still really high because they have a, they have too much talent. Um, I still think Denver's going to be fine. Like I think at four and four, Denver is totally fine. They lost a close one to Memphis last night. That would put them five and four. If Jokic either gets a foul call or, or the, the game or the game tire drops, I think they win in overtime. Um, but I think they're definably better. And then like after that, I think there's a handful of teams that you can point to and say are better. Like you're not wrong that they can get the three. It's absolutely possible. It's way early. Like the Nuggets, I said last year at this time in terms of games through the season, I was like, I can't see the Nuggets getting a, a top four seed and they got the third. So yeah. like there's time. But I don't, the difference is I don't know who's going to play better for Portland outside of just like Dave. That's it. So, yeah. yeah, I think for me, the difference, we talked about the Celtics and Blazers. I'm just out on the Celtics until they show me. The yeah. Blazers, I'm still willing to play right now. I'll play their games. I'll, I'll play Portland covers and wins. I'm willing to still bet on Portland to turn this around. Boston, I'm going to have to, they're going to have to win me back over. One of the teams that you didn't mention in that mix that certainly was supposed to be in that mix, the Phoenix Suns. Three and three, they have won two games in a row, but it's the Cows and the Pelicans. So I was surprised about the Suns. They are 30th in three-pointers, and they are 30th in three-pointers allowed. So right now, Phoenix is making nine threes a game at under 32%. They're allowing 15.8 threes a game at 39%. So that's a 20-point deficit in the math equation that Phoenix is going into every game with. This is a pretty rough math equation you have to overcome to find 20 extra points. And it's even worse than that because it's taking Phoenix more shots to get there since they're not shooting well. So I don't know. I, I am a little worried about Phoenix. The, the defense is what worries me. And combined with DeAndre Ayton, I don't know what that injury is or how much is any of this tied to the contract thing that didn't happen. Obviously, uh, we're recording Thursday. Obviously, Robert Sarver, there's a lot happening with all there's of a that. Lot there. There's just a that, lot going on there. <laughs> it's a lot. And, and it has to be, you know, poor Chris Paul. Everywhere he goes, it's like, oh, hey, Chris, could you represent the team again? There is a crisis happening here. So I'm glad that CP is there to be able to lead the team through it. But it has to be distraction. So there, there's a lot happening in Phoenix. I'm not like super duper worried on them, in part because, as we've said, I wasn't super high on them coming in. Yeah. but. I, I Phoenix is a team to me. I wouldn't be shocked if things go a little, a little further south. If Aiton isn't healthy, there's not much big men depth here. Sarge is out. They just cut Jalen Smith, like Kaminsky. That's the other option. And that's to me, their defense has went good. And that's the big problem JaVale. there. So uh, um, yeah. JaVale has the, JaVale is their other big man. He has yeah. the worst. He has the worst defensive rating on the team, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shocker there that people could <laughs> believe in him. Um, so here, here's here's where I'm at with the with the Suns, Brandon. 
you build these ideas in your head of what the season is going to go like. And I talked to you a lot about over the off season of like how I'm trying to not be so attached to my priors. Right. Like yeah. the Raptors are a good example of this where I watch them and I'm like, these guys are not that good. And then they just win. And I'm like, but they're not that good, but they keep winning. So I'm just like, okay, you know what? You need to abandon your priors. Like let go of the idea that the Raptors aren't good. They're good enough. Like let go of that and stop being influenced by that and stop betting against them just because you hit that one time versus with the magic. Like, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> but with the Suns, the problem is the opposite where I laid out the case in their win total argument of look, they're going to be a little they're, They, they were so healthy last year. They're probably going to be a little more injured. Cameron Payne is out for the last couple of games. DeAndre Aiden has been out the last couple of games. Dario Saric is out from the ACL tear last season. They've been banged up. Okay. So check. Um, I said, they're probably going to see some regression from Cameron Payne, who had an absolutely incredible season last year. Cameron Payne's QSI in just a handful of shots for, uh, attempted is minus 16.81. He's shooting terribly, right? Um, again, handful of games, he got hurt. They'll probably see some natural regression as well as fatigue setting in from a short offseason. We're seeing that consistently. They are in currently uh, defensively. They are 16th in defending the half court, but more concerning, they are 22nd against pick and roll. That's alarming. They are 21st defending spot up. They are guarding the actual pick and roll ball handler fine, but teams are being able to find open threes consistently against the rotation. Um, they are. This is the, the one that stood out to me last night because I did the game guide for the Rockets game. They're 30th at the rim on non post ups defensively. Dead last defending the rim. The defense. So my problem though, is I'm like, I can't be this right. Right. Like I couldn't have nailed every single element of how the sun season is going to go and, and have it manifest directly in the first eight games. So now I'm like, crap, when this, like, <laughs> Oh, when this, this is like an overcorrection. And when this bounces back, am I going to be wrong? Um, I still think the Suns. I said that the Suns were still going to be above 500. They're going to be, they're going to be fine. Um, I'm in a similar place with the Suns and the Nets. They're going to be fine. I don't think they're going to be great. Like the Suns fans that were like, why wouldn't we be the number one seed in the, in the West? I'm like, about a million reasons. Um, they're already a little like they're, they're having their only, I'll say this, their only signature win and it's eight games. So you don't play, you don't get to control who you play, but their best win is versus the Lakers in the second game of the season when the Lakers were way more of a mess than they are now. Right. That's not like a super impressive win given the context being the Lakers is a good win, but it's not a great win given where the Lakers were on that particular spot. So um, a lot more to see, I think with Phoenix, what I think is kind of concerning is Booker's numbers aren't good and they're not like his yeah. QSI isn't necessarily too low. It's a, it's a little low, but not too low. Like, it makes me a little, I'm a little nervous. Like Devin's not taking enough threes and that, that was a thing last year and they were kind of okay. Getting a little concerned about Devin Booker in terms of the overall regular season efficiency. Still a, ma a magnificent player, but need to see a little bit more on the scoring side and efficiency from, from Devin Booker. Yeah, for sure. And Booker obviously will shoot better. Cameron Johnson will shoot better. Jake Crowder has been ice cold. He eventually will make some shots probably tonight because I bet his under on his prop. So thanks, Jay Crowder. You're welcome for that one. But yeah, I, I'm not super worried about Phoenix, but I do think you said they're similar kind of how you thought about Brooklyn, to me, Phoenix is similar how you just described Portland. Like, I think that they're clearly outside of that top group in the West, even the, the, the tier 2A group. I think Phoenix has a real threat at falling into the play-in. And I think that they were already, I, I thought that going in, that they were like a five, six, seven-ish range. 
I can see them kind of ending up like where the Lakers did, where the Warriors did last year. So I'm not super worried unless, you know, if the Aiden injury turns into something bigger, you never like to see a big man get injured. And he's so key to what they're doing defensively that that would be a bigger concern. Um, All right, let's let's talk just a little bit about two other teams that were supposed to be at least in the play in range. Just a couple of minutes on each, the Clippers and then the Pelicans. Yeah. So the Clippers, I don't know. The Clippers are three and four. They got super hot against my Timberwolves last night and all time shooting in the third quarter. This is what the Clippers do. They make a lot of shots and they win. They miss a lot of shots and they lose. Basically, their three point percentage has dropped this year a little bit, which is always going to do. They're not going to shoot 41% forever like they did last year. They're getting crushed on the boards. They miss Kawhi Leonard. Shocker. Kawhi Leonard is really good. He's not there. PG has been awesome. The rest of the roster is kind of whatever. Bledsoe and Reggie Jackson haven't been very good. They're not hitting shots. PG has been a legitimate MVP candidate. If the team was good enough, the team's not that good. I don't think it's going to be bad as long as PG stays healthy. Marcus Morris will be back at some point. Hopefully Ibaka is back at some point. That'll obviously help. But I don't know. They seem firmly in the play-in conversation to me. What I, I guess here's a question is like, what is surprising about where the Clippers are at? <laughs> Right. Like, because a lot of it is just um, I've said this oftentimes, uh, Kawhi isn't a floor raiser every game, because I think there are games where, where Kawhi just kind of goes through the motion. I've said this consistently, like he just that's kind of where he's at. Um, but the difference is that if you're having a night where you're just like, man, can't make a shot. That's a rotate. And we're like, we're, we're not getting the loose balls. And, the, and, you know, it's like the balls are a random rebound bounces off of our leg and like things like that. Right. You're having just a night where things don't go wrong. Oh, Kawhi just scored 14 points straight in the third quarter. And he turned a minus one point lead into a 13 point lead. Like that's Kawhi. is that he just makes up for the like if, if he has a night, it makes up for everything. I don't know how much like Kawhi's a really great passer at this point in his career. Here's what's interesting. I think Kawhi has turned into a fantastic, phenomenal passer. I don't know how much better he makes teammates, which is an interesting dichotomy, but I do think it's accurate in terms of how I view it. Um, Kawhi is still one of like the top 10, top five best players in the league overall. I'm not saying that. It's really weird because he and AD are similar in that I, bo- I think that they are both amongst the 90th percentile of, of guys in the league. And yeah, I think they're a little overrated, like just slightly by the perception of them. Um, the Clippers, like, look, a lot of this is just they shot the, the hell out of the ball last year, and now they're not shooting the hell out of the ball. But they are starting to warm up a little bit. They started to hit the threes versus the Wolves, and that was like a, that's like a very good sign for them. They're now seventh and spot up. Um, they are, but they're, they're really struggling in pick and roll play. They are 22nd in scoring out of pick and roll. Got to be better than that. But they're eighth on jump shots. Um, they haven't been able to make anything around the rim. They're below average uh, around the rim. That's a problem. But... These are all things that I think will actually kind of stabilize. I think that the profile for the Clippers right now is a slightly below average team or average. And I think as things regulate and normalize, I think the Clippers will wind up as a slightly above average team. But there's going to be nights where if PG's not Superman, they don't have a chance. And there's going to be nights where if PG's Superman, that's all they, they need. If they play the Rocket, that's all they're going to need. If they play the Jazz, it doesn't really matter how good they're going to be they're probably going to lose that game. Right. So I agree with you that this team, I like them for the, we started off in preseason talk. We were super in on like, Hey, what about the over for the Clippers? Like, couldn't they still be really good? And then like, I kind of cooled that off of that after talking to Alex Christensen on our preseason pods. 
And now and then I kind of settled on, they're still going to be good, but they're probably going to be a play-in. They're going to be right in there. And that's about where I think that they've settled. Yeah, I, I just think it's an average team. Yep. Without Kawhi Leonard, PG is great. The rest of the roster is fine. They're not going to tank. They don't have draft picks until like the year 3000. So they're going to have to keep trying and try to push for the playoffs. So I, I just think they're going to end up in one of those playing slots. And that's fine. That's about what we both thought that they're going to end up. Uh, a team that's not going to be in one of those playing games is the New Orleans Pelicans. One in eight. Ooh. They're the worst team in basketball right now. Ooh. Half of those losses are by double digits. The schedule doesn't get any easier over the next month where they probably still don't have Zion. They got to play the Mavericks three times, the Clippers twice, in Utah twice. They play the Warriors. They play the Heat, the Wizards, the Grizzlies. Like, they, looking at their next, like, 16 games, they easily could go 4-12, and 3-13, and 13, still no Zion. Like, the roster is clearly bad without him. Suddenly, you're, like, 5-20. and 20. The season is gone. Maybe the season is already gone. Like, the, I, the, the, to me, the conversation with the Pelicans is not, is there something to save this year? I, I don't know that there is. What's happening with the Pelicans' future? Like, Zion has a year left. I'm in, like, serious, the sky is falling mode for this franchise. Everything is fine, dog. That's, like, where they're at. Um, <laughs> the Pelicans' bloggers have already shifted to it's time to tank. That's, like, that's where we're at. Is like, the Pelicans' bloggers are, like, season's over. By the time that Zion gets back, which this entire thing has been, like, the minute I will say this, Brandon, the next time that a GM comes out on media day and announces a surprise foot surgery, you and I, we get everyone in action and we rush to go hit the under. Like, we were like, that was weird. Like, what does this mean? Rush to go get the under. Um, At this point, here's the problem. Let's say that he's not back for two or three more weeks and you are like 20 games under 500. What's the point? Yeah, why? Why? Like, I think that there's a non-zero chance Zion just literally doesn't play this play this year. Yeah, like imagine him not playing this year after the surprise foot surgery, and then and then signing the qualifying offer. Like, (laughs) imagine, right? Well, and it's it's a problem too. Like, I think we agree Brandon Ingram is not necessarily the great fit with Zion. Needs to be a little better. But what is the rest of the roster like? Who is, other than Ingram, well, Ingram is good, but who's, who's the next, like, what's the next best asset on this roster? Who's the other young guy that you're, like, hanging your hat on with this team going forward? NAW is, like, the, the next up guy, I think, in this Probably. Entire... Like, I, I like him. I like Kyra Lewis. Yeah, but like... I like all these guys. I will say this. Yeah. They've, they've played under, I think they've played under performance. I think that they've, like, Garrett Temple talked about this last night, about how, like, guys are really, are, like, getting down on themselves, and they got to stay with it. Like, we just got to stay with it. Like Jonas has been good. Jonas is Jonas has been good for them. Um, yeah. I think, look, if you're without Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, of course you're going to lose. Like, of course you're terrible because part of it is like they reconfigured a lot of the roster specifically around Zion. Now, this was why I thought they should have kept Lonzo, despite me being like a big Lonzo guy or not being a Lonzo guy. Like I have never liked Lonzo until really last year was the first point where I was like, you know what? He's like, like, the shooting is stabilized and he's a really good fit with Zion. And now like we see how that's going. Um, they, the trades that they did right in, in then moving out, they had to move out blood stuff, but they couldn't get anything back for him. So they wind up with like JV who's good, but needs to play in it. Like you, but Devonte specifically like needs to play around Zion and Trey Murphy and Najee need to play around Zion. Like Herb Jones has been good, 
they just need their like they need their guys back. But the guys, I don't know if if either one of them is like at some point you get I don't know like this is an absolute horrible situation. Um, do we know at, at DraftKings are is worst team props are are worst teams props still up on the board? Uh, I have not seen it, but I've not checked recently. If anyone lets you do it, <laughs> like, I, th- I, yeah. I think it might be worth a play because it's probably Rockets. I would say it's probably still Rockets or Pistons yeah. or Magic. And yeah, it's. I think it's pretty bad. Um, team seating. Yeah. I've got. I've got it right now. I've got it up here. Um, the Pelican seating is currently. It's still twelve and a half. You can bet over twelve and a half in the conference at plus 130. So to be a bottom three team in the conference yeah. is plus 130. Sorry, that seems like a pretty good bet because by the time Zion gets back, there may be no point in bringing Zion back. Yeah, well, yeah, the, I mean, you still have to figure the Rockets and OKC are probably below, but you still have another, you, you know, that's it. They have to be either worse than one of those teams or worse than all of the other teams. That's how you hit that. But they sure are being good at being worse than everyone so far. So yeah, we did our team over under draft though. I I left feeling very good about my draft Spoiler alert. My draft sucked. I took the bulls under, I took Lakers and nets overs. I took Celtics and blazers overs. I liked it. The one pick that I really wanted, that was like third on my board. And I just kind of thought I'd get to it later. And then Raheem stole it was the Pelicans under. I thought that there was a chance that this could go very South. And we had like bonus points in our draft for if it went very bad, you got, you know, up to 10 points or whatever. Yeah, Reem's getting 10 for this one, I think. It, they're going to go way under. Here's the one piece of good news I found for the Pelicans. You ready for some good news? Yes. So New Orleans traded for Devonte Adams, their first round pick this year. But it's top 14 protected. Great news, Pelicans fans. You're getting that pick this year. Woo-hoo. That's the good news I found. There you go. All right. I think it's ugly. The Pelicans are in trouble. We'll see about the rest of those teams it's early in the season, but never too early to panic a little bit. That is going to wrap it up for Buckets here today on a Friday. As you listen, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy some basketball. We are back Monday with fantasy episodes and then episodes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday next week and all throughout the season. I'm Brandon Anderson and with Matt Moore, this has been Buckets on the Action Network podcast. We will see you next week.